The truth is out there, dear listener. I'm merely doing my part to present the things I know. Through audio recordings of phone calls and police transmissions to the personal reflections of eyewitness testimony, we're going to venture through the supposed impossible and our great search for the truth. Believe or not, it is your choice, but make it wisely, for the world you will see depends on it. The date is February 2nd, 2018, and you're listening to Malachi. If you're hearing this, then it's too late. The chain has started, and if you value your life, you'll continue to listen and do as this letter requests. Should you stop this at any point before it is finished, or if you refuse to send this to five people in the next 24 hours, then your life is forfeit. She is watching you. She's watching you because you've just let her out. Why is this happening to you? Because someone you know doesn't want to die. It doesn't care about you, nor the unfairness of this all. All she cares about is eating. And seeing you now has made her very, very hungry. Vicky Gacy was the first one who didn't send this to someone else. She was 17 years old and thought she knew better. She got an email stating she would come for her, but Vicky didn't listen. She thought this whole thing was stupid. And so a few nights later, under a ruddy moon... She, who shall not be named, came for her. It started with Vicky waking up in the middle of the night, unsure of what had disturbed her. But then she heard it, first faintly but growing louder as the minutes went on. It sounded like scraping, then heavy breathing, then sliding across pavement. She got out of bed, went to her window, and peered out into the night. What she saw terrified her beyond words. There was a figure moving toward her house from up the street, It had long hair, wore a dress, and cast no shadow from any of the streetlights. As it got near Vicky's home, it raised its head to look at her, and Vicky noticed the eyes were glowing a pale blue. As it moved, there was an arch to its back, almost like a hunchback, but when it stopped outside the home, it stood perfectly straight and still. Their eyes locked together for a very long time, with each second increasing the sense of cold Vicky was feeling. Suddenly, the figure outside ran for Vicky's front door. Vicky screamed for her parents and ran out into the hallway. Her parents' bedroom was on the other side of the landing, with the top of the stairway between them. Vicky stopped frozen outside her door and waited for the sound of the figure coming through the front door. Only she didn't hear anything. She heard no footsteps, no heavy breathing, and no sound from outside. Finally, she decided to go to the top of the stairs and peek down to the front door, and as she moved, the floorboards creaked a thunderclap to her ears, but she continued anyway. When she got to the top of the stairs, she stared in horror at the front door standing open at the bottom. It was inside the house. The door to her parents' bedroom suddenly opened. She called to them, telling them desperately someone or something was inside the house. She started to hurry for them until she saw the pale blue eyes gazing back at her from the darkened bedroom. 
The last thing she saw was a disfigured face of the creature tearing open her throat. I hope you listen closely to Vicky's story. Because it could be what happens to you. Pass this to five people, or you will meet she who shall not be named. And hello, listeners. I'm curious what you think about our little introduction and story here. I wonder how many of you feel compelled to share this episode now, and how many of you feel completely comfortable risking the wrath of she who shall not be named. (laughs) Relax, dear listener. I don't expect you to send this out to anyone. This story is one I wrote based on chain letters I used to get back in the 1990s. For those of you old enough to remember, I'm sure you got these letters too, sent your email accounts all the time. For those of you who don't know about this weird craze from the 1990s, allow me to fill you in on the details. Many of you weren't alive when this craze began, but trust me when I say there was a time where there was no Wi-Fi and no cell phones. Not every home had internet. Email was just coming into its own, and all the world knew of text messages were from internet instant messengers and conversations in online chat rooms. As people grew more accustomed to digital conversation, old traditions started making the digital leap as well. Gone were the days of campfire stories. What we had then was the precursor to the ever-popular creepypasta known as the chain letter. Chain letters were emails sent into a mass amount of people. Some promised uncountable amounts of money as reward for helping some prince in a far-off land. Others promised magical powers or fake news bulletins about some world-ending disaster. The types of letters were numerous, but none were ever as prevalent as those promising ghostly visits and paranormal homicides if specific instructions weren't followed to the letter. Someone alleged to be sent by a deceased loved one, or a demon, or a ghost, or someone who died in some tragic manner. In time, email chains letters became urban legends for the new generation. If you know anything about these types of urban legends, then the story I read to you earlier may sound somewhat familiar, as it too shares many of those similar traits. But the next story I'm going to tell you about is a family who claims that they were victimized by a ghost when a family member didn't forward a chain letter they were sent. Let me preface this by saying I seriously doubt the sincerity of people being haunted by a chain letter. Most of these letters were created as a means to troll or simply scare others, not because there was any hocus pocus involved in their creation. But still, I think it's fun to kind of take a look at urban legends every now and then and see how they reflect back on our society currently. As always, though, I encourage you to make up your own mind about whether or not what you're going to hear is true. So let's start by telling you about the Pearsons. Bob and Jill Pearson were married in 1978 and had two sons named Brandon and Bill and a daughter named Amy. They lived in an older home in western Pennsylvania, one Bob and Jill had purchased in 1979 and still lived in in 1996. One of the children was sent a chain letter from a friend at school. The family was new to computers and the internet. Jill had been adamantly against getting a computer because of her worries about the boys playing too many computer games. Bob didn't much care for the idea of an internet due to the stories he'd heard about people's computers being hacked. Eventually, the family compromised on purchasing a computer, but the children were not allowed access to the internet and kept on a strict schedule for when they could play video games. Back in 1996, most people who used the internet didn't do so through a cable. They connected through built-in modems that connected to the internet through the phone lines. Connection speed was slow, but for the purpose of talking online or reading emails, it was more than adequate. Brandon, the oldest of the children, had been learning how to use email and navigate websites from his classes at school. He claimed later his science class even made the students create email accounts for a grade and gave them assignments they could only turn in via email as a way to kind of encourage them to learn. It was to this email account that Brandon would eventually get his chain letter, but we're not quite at that part of the story yet. Brandon, as I'm sure is easy to imagine, came to really enjoy being online. 
As a pro wrestling fan, he joined an online role-playing group that would role-play promos that would lead up to matches written by a moderator of the group. Brandon went by the wrestling name Stupendous. Not that that's exactly relevant to the story, I just kind of thought it was fun to share. But anyway, he often lost his matches on the weekend pay-per-views, quote-unquote, because he wasn't able to role-play outside of school. So to get around the situation, he would eventually figure out that if he waited for his parents to go to sleep late at night and use an extra-long phone cord to attach the computer in the living room to the phone line in the kitchen, he would be able to sneak online late at night. And then on one October night, as his parents were sleeping upstairs, Brandon opened his email to find a chain letter mixed in with his role plays that he had missed throughout the day. It was sent to him by one of the other guys in the email list for the role play. Assuming it was a promo he'd have to respond to as part of the game, he opened the email, and this is what it allegedly said. To all my friends, you know I don't normally forward letters. I'm sending this because if I don't, I'm going to be haunted by a ghost. And if you're reading this, then it means that you will too unless you forward this to 10 people you know. There was once a guy who was very mean. He got really violent when his house wasn't clean. He once had a wife and a kid or two. And if you don't listen, it'll happen to you. She forgot to do laundry and she forgot to cook. And by the time he was done, she was buried by a brook. The kids talked back and avoided going home. And as such, he'd struck them each atop their dome. He'd watch them all each night as they slept. Late at night on the halls, he carefully crept. Now calling for help, just wondering why, ever closer came the moment they would eventually die. When the police finally came, the moment was done, for the man had murdered his wife, daughter, and son. His daughter was bloodied, broken, and beaten, the mattress of her bed soaked in his semen. His son was hanging from wire in his room, his careless discovery sealing their doom. The wife wasn't home, and her body not present the police unaware of his late-night descent. The father swore, and the cops he charged, and with all their guns drawn, they aimed and discharged. And as he died, he growled loud with a sneer, Pass this to ten people, or in wrath I shall appear. No moment of rest, no peace as you sleep. Every moment with you shall I silently creep. Heed my warning, what I say is true. Pass this to ten people, or I'm coming for you. Please understand this is real. I got this from a friend who hasn't had a night's sleep since he got this. Do as it says or I can't help you stop him. And that, dear listener, is where the letter ends. Brandon read the same letter that very night. He'd never seen anything like this before. And to make it worse, there was a paragraph in the end written by the guy from the roleplay group swearing that his house really was haunted because he hadn't forwarded it. Brandon said later in an interview that he was going to try and forward the letter, but he heard a noise upstairs of someone going to the bathroom, so he quickly unplugged the computer, rehid the phone cord, and then snuck back upstairs to bed. And then three nights later, it started. Amy woke up screaming in the middle of the night. When her parents and brothers rushed into her room, she was screaming that a man had been standing over her watching her sleep. They searched the home but found no one. There was no trace that anyone had ever been in the room. Her father spent the rest of the evening sleeping on the floor, but the next night it happened again. Only this time it happened in Bill's room, and when Bill woke up, the covers had been pulled off his bed. As he is older than Amy, he was able to give a description of a tall man with dark hair and eyes, smiling at him as he slept. And Bill supposedly said even while he, even while he was screaming for help, the man would simply just stare at him, smiling. Bob and Jill, once the panic of their screaming child passed, were very annoyed. 
They accused the kids of watching movies they shouldn't have been watching. And the next 20-some minutes were an interrogation of what they'd been watching on TV that afternoon. And as it was October, there were plenty of scary movies on most of the stations throughout the day, so their accusations may not have been baseless, but still, the family spent the night with the hallway light on, and the two youngest of the family barely sleeping. Two nights later, Amy and Bill both swore they saw a man walking up and down the hallway outside their rooms. It was then the electronics started to falter too. At times, the phone would ring as if someone was calling, only when someone answered there was no one there. Lights upstairs would begin to flicker. Faucets in the bathrooms would start turning themselves on and off. After a week, it still hadn't occurred to Brandon what may be happening. But then that's when he had his experience. At about three in the morning, Brandon snuck downstairs to go online. He laid low the past several days with his brother and sister having their nightmares, but he had lost another couple of matches and was on the verge of being left off the next pay-per-view card. He thought he could bust out a couple role plays and then hightail it back to bed. He was halfway through the first one when he noticed a shadow standing at the bottom of the stairs watching him. He'd left the lights off so if someone looked down the stairs, they wouldn't have been able to tell that he was down there on the computer. The glow of the monitor made it difficult for him to notice the figure at first. Assuming it was his father and that he'd just been busted, he felt a lump form in his throat. He waited for his father to say something, but he didn't. He just stood there. Brennan told him he was just getting offline and that he was sorry, but that's when he heard footsteps from upstairs and his father's voice calling from the top of the stairway. Hey, who's down there? Confused beyond words, the shadow at the bottom of the stairs then walked over to him until he just crossed the threshold of light from the computer monitor. The man was tall and had no facial hair or distinguishing marks, and had the same dark hairs and eyes as the man his brother had described. Also, the man was smiling. Brandon had never been so scared in his life. His father called again from upstairs, the concern and anger in his voice noticeable, but Brandon couldn't overcome the fear to call back to him. The man, his smile unfaltering, raised a finger to his lips in a gesture for Brandon to be quiet. Then he disappeared. When his father came downstairs a moment later, he found Brandon hiding under the computer desk, crying uncontrollably. It took him and Jill over 20 minutes to calm Brandon down enough to learn about what had happened. In the meantime, Amy was wide awake with a visitor in her bedroom. The smiling man had removed the covers from her bed. She went to get up, but felt a pair of hands pinning her down. She thrashed and screamed, but the hands were strong and held her in place. Bob and Jill, hearing the screaming, went running upstairs with Brandon following behind. They ran into the bedroom, flicked on the lights, and saw that their daughter was pushed down into the mattress. They tried to pull her out, but something shoved them away from the bed. Amy screamed until her voice was hoarse. Outside, a police car eventually pulled up, having been called by a neighbor due to all the noise. They tried to pull her out, but something shoved them away from the bed. Amy screamed until her voice was hoarse. And outside, a police car pulled up after having been called by a neighbor due to all the noise. The police heard the screaming and didn't bother knocking. They kicked open the front door and hurried upstairs with guns drawn. The first thing they saw was Bill and Brandon standing outside their sister's bedroom, both appearing terrified beyond words and struggling to respond to the strange men with flashlights yelling at them to get back into their rooms. Finally, they listened, allowing the officers to get into Amy's room. And what they saw, only one of the two responding officers would ever admit to actually seeing. Officer John Talmadge stated he saw Bob and Jill Pearson pinned flat against opposing walls and were being held nearly a foot off the ground. In the center of the room was Amy Pearson, her voice mangled from screaming, being pushed down into her mattress to the point springs busted through the padding around her. Stunned, neither officer knew what to make of what they were seeing. 
Officer Talmadge attempted to reach Amy, but was shoved back. His partner, Officer Shamisa, tried to help Jill, but would later testify to his bosses and deny publicly that something was actively pulling her away from him. Eventually, something let go, and the officers were able to get Bob and Jill out of the room. They both yelled at the officers to save their daughter. Officer Talmadge swore he would, and he turned to go back into the room and ended up coming face to face with a man half a foot taller than him, glaring at him with a large, and what I quote as him saying as, a shit-eating grin. Then the man disappeared, and Amy was loud up from her bed and ran to her parents. The police didn't press charges, and as I said, only one of the two responding officers ever spoke about what happened. Officially, the police have no comments other than they responded to a noise complaint, and the matter was settled without arrest or citation. Bob and Jill immediately left the house that night. They stayed at a local hotel for a few days, and they would have stayed longer except whatever was going on at home appeared to have followed them to the hotel. Bill and Brandon both reported seeing the man standing in the bathroom with them when they were doing their business. Amy eventually wasn't allowed to go in there alone ever. Frustrated and unsure of where to turn, Bob called a local parish and asked for help. The priest came to the hotel to meet with the family, and he asked whether or not the family had purchased anything new or received any kind of suspicious gifts recently. That's when it finally occurred to Brandon what he had done. Brandon supposedly claimed later that he couldn't remember what exactly happened when he told his family about the chain letter. He said he was so guilt-stricken and depressed, the memory buried itself deep in his mind. From what the family reported, the priest recommended they try to go back to the house and forward the email as they were instructed to do. And so they did, with the priest coming along to go ahead and go room by room blessing them with holy water, while the family worked on going ahead and passing the email. It took contacting some friends and family members to get enough email addresses to forward the letter as the guy who'd sent it to Brandon had already used everybody up in the game. After it was sent, the family described the atmosphere in the home as feeling like a weight had been lifted. Brandon got grounded for a month for sneaking online without permission, but I'm sure the guilt of his ignorance will last him a lifetime. The story is one of many that have come around when talking about chain letters. And although it gives specific names of people and police officers, a little digging shows that these people don't in fact exist. Without evidence, it's just a story. And a story based on evidence, without evidence, is an urban legend. Perhaps the only thing real in our story this session is the lesson learned by young Brandon in messing around with things he doesn't understand. Ignorance has killed more than any plague or war the world has ever known. Perhaps that would, that's what makes urban legends last as long as they do. Equal parts learning and equal parts fear. Which brings us back to the first story of She Who Shall Not Be Named. If Brandon's lesson is not to mess with things out of ignorance, then what does that mean for you and I, dear listener? Does that mean that we too shall be haunted if we don't follow the instructions of the letter? Maybe or maybe not, but I do know one thing for certain. More than 10 of you listen to this podcast. So if there is a ghost, at least I won't be the one getting stalked by it. Until next time, dear listener, you've been listening to Malachi. Okay.